Whether packing for a destination vacation or planning a staycation, Macy's has everything you need. Summer's almost here, and I'm so excited to take a trip with Bryn. We are planning it right now. We are heading to Macy's before we pack to grab new shoes we can wear all day with anything. I'm excited to lay in the sun with key pieces from Macy's, like my new Dolce Vita sandals and Levi's skirt. I am ready to relax and look and feel amazing. Oh, how good that sounds. Of course, I can't forget a new beach bag. I have been eyeing the collection of beach bags from Macy's, and I can't wait for you to see what I choose. Shop at Macy's.com slash own your style. The virus that causes shingles is sleeping in 99% of people over 50. While not everyone at risk will develop shingles, it strikes as a painful rash that can last for weeks. Wake up because shingles could wake up in you. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about shingles prevention. So Puerto Rico is a beautiful place. It's a lush island. It's great for surfing. It's got a culture. Like you feel like you've really gone somewhere far and you don't need a passport, which honestly I do really enjoy. It's a beautiful island. The people are amazing. The food is amazing. The water, the beaches, the vibe. It's a great place. It really is. In Puerto Rico, you'll taste the influence of Spanish, African, and native Taino traditions, sometimes all in the same dish. Puerto Rican chefs and restaurants put their passion into every bite. Puerto Rico is an excellent destination for food, which may not be a well-known fact. Whether it's a five-star restaurant or local favorite spot, no one does food like Puerto Rico. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. considering having children or going on birth control, I think a wonderful idea is go to a public pool. Go to a public pool and spend the day there. Just sit there and observe what goes on. Or go Christmas break, spring break, I think is even bigger. I think President's Weekend might be one of the biggest weekends of the year. Pick a Mach 5 kids holiday weekend. Go to an all-inclusive resort like a place where everything is included and free drinks are included and parents are just, and just sit by the pool and then you decide if parenting is correct for yourself because birth control pills are always just like tampon commercials are kind of just about like women and women's choices and what they, you know, they're always just like, they look like tampon commercials. And I just don't think that birth control pills should look like tampon commercials. Birth control pills should look like a beachside Marriott on the busiest holiday weekend or like the Jersey Shore on Memorial Day Monday, you know, like or Saturday night, um, like a six o'clock sort of dinner buffet, like a good, a good poolside, big barbecue, all you can eat kids event with like, there's a barbecue and then there's a pool, like any real serious kids event. That's what a birth control commercial should be like. I mean, just saying, if this isn't for you, then you should consider birth control. I just think that that would be a better, you know, oh, a cruise, go on a cruise, get on a cruise, see if you could do a day pass, call up management, I'm considering parenting, and I heard this is like a Disney cruise, there's gonna be a lot of kids on here all excited, and I just wanna come on, go to Universal for the day, Universal, go to Disney, just go on like a Saturday, 4th of July weekend, just show up there, just like, I'm thinking of having kids. This is how I'm going to decide. By the end of the day, please report back. I just want to hear what you decide. And if you maybe decide about the number of kids maybe changing. Because I know that one kid is one kid. And that's, you know, got its challenges. But it's fairly easy. Like running on two. Now you got to like, you know, you got to ask more than one person what they want to do. Because uh, we do, or we are our kids' assistants and we do work for them. Uh, I serve at the pleasure of my daughter. Um, and then you have three and, and two kids is two kids and three becomes nine. So you just, it's your body and your choice and children are wonderful, but I just think you should enter into that uh, lifelong commitment with both 
eyes open and I think you should go to a massive pool that definitely has a water slide, uh, definitely has a frozen drink machine behind the behind the bar. Typically a bar that is located inside a pool so you can pee while drinking alcohol. That's kind of the places that I think you should decide what your parenting journey is going to entail. Today's guest is Scott Harrison, founder and CEO of a nonprofit called Charity Water, which aims to bring clean drinking water to every person on the planet. Scott got his start in the nightclub and party scene, working as a promoter in Manhattan, uninspired by the luxury of nightclub culture. Shocking. He completely changed the trajectory of his career. Scott traveled to the coast of Liberia to volunteer as a photojournalist and got inspired to change the realities of areas without access to clean drinking water. With the help of over 1 million donors, the organization has brought in more than $640 million. This has helped fund over 91,000 water projects in 29 countries. The charity continues to grow today, expanding access to clean water worldwide. Scott's journey from nightclub connoisseur to businessman and humanitarian is an inspiring tale that I'm sure you will love. I hope you enjoy today's show. You moved from L.A. because a lot of people did that, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, we lived in Tribeca, Soho for, you know, a quarter of a century and uh, just moved out during the pandemic and are kind of liking life outside the city for a while. Wow. Okay. Well, this will be uh, interesting. This will be different. Uh, some things I read about you uh, are similar to my partner, Michael, who's uh, on the ground right now in Poland. Okay. And he had a to use your word or what was, I think you described as hedonistic nightclub <laughs> background. He used to be like, you know, friends at Madonna and Ingrid Casares and did all the Miami nightclubs and, yep. you know, then built like 30 to $50 million houses for rich people in Miami. Um, and then he fell on hard times, which I would let him tell the story on his own, but, and was like basically homeless, but he's dedicated his life to um, disaster relief. So, and, and it's funny because in, the two of us have a big production background, um, him doing clubs and me. I used to do like events on Alcatraz, big events for Disney, like million dollar, multi-million dollar Amazing. events. And the logistics really do tie into philanthropy and um, as does business. So when people ask me about it, I always think about an interesting, weird background that sort of could make you good at yeah philanthropy so i just wanted to kind of at some talk about that with you and we're you know i'm i'm still promoting i've been promoting something different for 15 years right than uh, than the velvet rope <laughs> you were a nightclub promoter like him so you're just promoting something different yeah you got to be a hype man too to get people to to believe in you because there are so many other uh efforts too yeah. so um all right so where did you grow up great uh i was born in philadelphia and middle class family my dad was a business guy. My mom was a writer. And when I was four, there was a carbon monoxide gas leak in our house. And we all almost died, Bethany. So like, really, uh, my mom on New Year's Day, 1980, walks across the bedroom, collapses. No, like the canary in the coal mine. You and really don't smell it. Nothing. Nope. Carbon monoxide is nothing. Nope. Nope. <gasps> so and we scary. know people who've, you know, who've died with this. So there was a crack in the heat exchanger. Thank God mom passed out. This led to the series of blood tests. It led to discovery, the discovery of carbon monoxide in her bloodstream. And then my dad found the leak and ripped it out. Uh, after the gas oh company had come God. a couple of times and said, oh no, everything's fine here. We can't, we, we don't think there's any problems. So, you know, life changed for me at four. Mom uh, became an invalid for the rest of, per permanently disabled really for the rest <gasps> of her life. So from this experience? From this experience. What happened was her immune system just irreparably oh shut down. And everything in the world made her sick from this point on. So car fumes would make her sick. Soap would make her sick. I mean, if you brought cologne or perfume anywhere near here, you know, she would, she would break out. She would get migraines. So we kind of moved her into a bubble. Uh, they actually made a movie about this with Julianne Moore many years ago called Safe. And uh, she was, uh, my mom was allergic to the world. So as a child, I remember- It's like that boy in the bubble, we, the boy in the bubble movie. It's like, it's kind of like the like bubble right. boy, right? So I remember she lived in a, in a bathroom upstairs covered in aluminum foil. She slept on an army cot that had been washed 20 times in baking soda 
to get all the smells out. And she wore uh, 3M masks. So I, I never really saw my mom's face growing up. I mean, I'm from, gosh, for the last uh, 40 years or so, my mom would wear, you know, N95 masks or charcoal masks because, you know, to avoid exposure. She was so sick, Bethany. I remember that the ink, the print from books, new books would make her sick. So my dad and I would bake her books in the oven that she wanted to read, try to outgas, get that, that smell out. And then I would walk upstairs. I would knock on her bathroom door. She would open it. It would kind of make the sound of tinfoil, you know, flapping. She would greet me with a mask on and a cellophane bag and cotton gloves. And she would take the book from me and she would put it inside this cellophane bag and then she would be able to read. So that was childhood. That sounds traumatic for you. I mean, beyond her. I mean, it sounds traumatic for her, but that sounds like a traumatic childhood. You must, that you're a tremendous caretaker because you had to walk on eggshells your whole life. It was all I knew. You know, I, I wrote a book a couple years ago and um, the, the writer that I was working with, you know, she said the same thing. She's like, oh my gosh, like I was crying. Like, you know, just imagine you as a little boy. And I'm like, I had such a normal childhood. What are you talking about? <laughs> Everything was fine. You know, I was a wow. caregiver and and I did the cooking and the cleaning for mom and I was needed and I wanted to be a doctor when I grew up to help, you know, sick people like my mom. And yeah, so I, I wasn't kind of aware, I don't think uh, at the time, this was just the only life that I'd ever known, which was, you know, dealing with hardship uh, and, and, you know, a life of grit and determination. Well, um, it took a long road to get you into uh, philanthropy. So... What did you want to be when you grew up and what what did you do for a living for most of your life? Yeah, well, I always had, you know, the entrepreneurial genes growing up. So I would sell holiday cards door to door. I would, you know, borrow money for a leaf blower and then I would go and, you know, blow the leaves off neighbors lawns. And but I, I the answer would have been doctor. Uh, I was going to be a doctor. I was going to help cure my mom and others. And my, my parents were, they were Christians, kind of non-denominational Christians. So I grew up in a family of faith. I went to church every Sunday. I played piano. And I was that good kid that didn't smoke, didn't drink, didn't swear, didn't have sex. You know, I, I was just, I was, I was a good kid. So then all that changed. Act two, 18 years old, I moved to New York City with a band. And a I band. joined a rock band. And I was going to, okay. you know, get our band a record deal. We were going to become rich and famous. We were going to be you know, opening up for you two at Madison Square Garden in like a period of months. Right? Were you was, good? We were pretty good. I mean, we played at CBGB's and, you know, some of the legendary clubs. We were discovered by, you know, the Scorpions and some big managers. It, the band hated well, you each weren't other. the worst. You could have been we weren't successful. The worst. We, 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 we could have been a thing, uh, but the band all hated each other and everybody was doing drugs. So that lasted about six months. Okay. What was it called? Sunday River. Okay. After a, after a ski resort in New Hampshire that none of us had ever been to. <laughs> okay. Like it sounds authentic. So I moved to the city uh, for a time. I thought I wanted to be an actor. So I was you know, auditioning for commercials. I put on a David Mamet play off Broadway. Then I was working at a music store. And then at 19, I stumbled into the nightclub business. And I, I realized there was this extraordinary job in New York City where if you could get the right rich and beautiful people into the right clubs, you could make a ton of money selling them alcohol. Can I ask how old you are? Uh, 19. So two so years now, before I'm now. legally allowed. Oh, now, now. I'm 46. 46. Because I, I know this language because I grew Limelight, up at 14 going to the Palladium. Yep. Yeah, so yep. I, I, I know Palladium well. Okay. So my first job mm-hmm. was for Peter Gation working at Limelight and working at the, the tunnel and uh, worked at Lotus for many years and Pangea and, you know, a bunch of uh-huh. the next 10 years kind of went by very quickly. Uh, mm-hmm. I worked at 40 clubs uh, across Manhattan. And, you know, you you know the scene. I mean, Jay-Z at table one, Puffy yeah. at table three and, you know, the club promoters with the models sitting at table two thinking we're fantastic and fabulous and spraying champagne from the DJ booth Was down over the and crowd. Mark and Eugene and Noah and Jason. Yep, and the worked whole with all group. of them. Yep, 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 yep. I know them all very well. So, you know, I picked up all the vices that you would imagine would come with that territory. Lots of smoking, drinking, uh, you know, sleeping around, chasing models to Milan and Paris and, you know, London fashion shows, uh, then the drugs. Uh, then the, you know, the gambling and the pornography and the strip clubs and just this kind of dark descent 
which uh, looked like the exact opposite of doctor. <laughs> you know, medical right. school never really happened. From doctor to douchebag. I like that. See, that would have been a, that would have been a great cut title for a book. <laughs> I agree. You can still write it. You can still write uh, it. So at 28, uh, I was, you know, in a nice loft in Midtown. I had a grand piano in my apartment. I drove a BMW. I had the stupid Rolex watch and I started having some health issues. Yeah, we'd go to the Hamptons. We'd go to Punta de Lesta and Buzios and yeah. we'd follow Guy from Cirque du Soleil around. Right. You know, it was a whole scene. Right. Uh, I got it. And I was miserable. Bethany, mm -hmm. I, mean, I was completely miserable. Uh, I was drunk and, you know, drugged out of my mind. We'd, we'd go to the, we'd go to dinner at 10 PM. We'd go to the club mm -hmm. at 12. We'd go to after hours at five and I'd be taking an Ambien at noon. Yeah. You know, trying to go to sleep, like looking out my window at other people, you know, having salads on their lunch break. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> They've worked like productive right. jobs all day. Mm -hmm. So I, I, one day half my body goes numb. And I remember my club partner is like, dude, no wonder. Like, it's amazing you're even alive. You know, like how you can't feel your body. Like, you know? like Bell's palsy? I had no idea. Bethany, I thought I had a, a, a neurological disease and I was going to die. Okay. You know, so I got the brain scans. I got the CT scans. I got, uh, you know, nodes hooked up and, and electric, you know, pulses. Nobody could find anything wrong with me. Okay. And for me, it was a real wake up call that, I was like mortal and you know, I'd been living like I was going to live forever. And I, I just asked myself the question, like, Oh my gosh, like what if I die in the next couple months? What has my life been about? Your legacy is nothing. Literally nothing. My tombstone would read here lies a club promoter who got a million people wasted. Right. It's the only thing you would have been able to say, not that right. I volunteered for a charity or gave or like did anything constructive except get people into a club and get them messed up. Right. Oh my God. You've got to talk to Michael, my part. You can't even believe your lives are like, so you don't understand. He's that he's recovered on his own. He did it uh, and never done anything since. Like it's crazy, but he's dedicated his life to philanthropy. You have to talk to him. Yeah, I, was I can't wait. almost going to suggest today that we do it another day and that I have you both on to talk, but you guys should talk to each other. Like it's no, awesome. I've never said that before. You got to meet him. But anyway, okay. So you have a worthless life and a, and a useless empty tombstone and then okay. <laughs> and then i'm a pretty radical guy so i wind up uh asking myself the question you know what would the opposite of my life look like and i think the realization was a pivot is not needed here <laughs> this is not a small course correction right like go find the exact opposite of everything i say think and do but were you tied into anyone where like you owed and you were like shackled because sometimes i feel like it's hard to get off the treadmill when you're shackled to something and then one thing keeps you tied back in and then you do another thing or do, like or would you just you were just a want like you would just do a party make money do a party make money so you could totally get out no no actual club no kind of okay. ownership you know we were we were like mercenaries you know, the minute nobody wanted to go to the club we found the next one they wanted to go to yeah and tried to it. tried to make money there okay so you know i i asked this question what's the opposite of my life look like and the only thing i could think of was what if i took one year and this was kind of a, a childhood biblical idea of a tithe what if i gave 10 percent of the decade that I'd wasted in service to others. And I got this idea, like, what if I volunteered somewhere? And, and but with, so- Do you I'm, have money? Do you have money saved? How much money do you have? No, not really. I mean, you know, we were, we were making great money and whatever we made, we you spent a little more. <laughs> yeah, so you were broke at that point too. I was, I was pretty broke. Yeah, I mean, my, the, the clubs were still going, the parties were still going, there was some money coming in, uh, not much, but, yeah, no, I, I didn't. I didn't have anything saved. Nothing saved. Put it this way: you have to leave saved. the apartment, and you can't. You can't sustain. You have to can't sustain that life right then, unless I literally liquidated my entire life. I sold, you know, watches. I sold my, you know, video camera. I sold my speaker system. Uh, I just got rid of everything, okay. and I started applying to some of the famous humanitarian aid agencies or charities that I'd heard of over the years, like Doctors Without Borders and the Red Cross and UNICEF and World Vision. And you know, maybe to the surprise of no one listening, I'm denied by every organization I apply to. You know, they are not looking for you know, drunk, <laughs> drug, uh, drug addled nightclub promoters. Well, what am I, I don't understand. You wanted a paid position at a- No, I wanted to volunteer. You were telling me that none of these places would let you volunteer? Correct. 
You Correct. didn't know about Be Strong then. That's yeah, I didn't know. No. Well, that, by the way, we could go into the big orgs for days and the money that's the bureaucracy and all that. It's my entire life. But um, very interesting. So, so one organization wrote me back and they said if I was willing to pay them $500 a month for the pleasure of volunteering and I was willing to go live on a hospital ship in Liberia, West Africa, a country, it was actually, Bethany, the poorest country in the world at that time. It was it had fallen off the United Nations development chart because there was no data for a 14 year civil war uh, that, okay. that had just ended. And uh, my role, my volunteer role that I was paying $500 a month was going to be to to be a photojournalist on the ship. And I, I was not a photojournalist, but I had been a pretty good writer. I had man, managed to get a degree at NYU just going part time mm-hmm. in communications. And while I was, you were club promoting while I was club promoting. So you always had a little angle of you that wanted to be or do something, have some meaning, but you didn't get pulled into the dark side. Yeah, and I was an only child and my dad had saved up and it felt like, you know, I had to honor him at least by mailing him a diploma ah. that, I, that I actually never saw. It just went straight to him. I was like, dad, here, I did this for you. Um, I, I was like a C minus student. Well, anyway, the degree helped me get this job okay. as a photojournalist, which then, you know, changed the entire course of my life. So uh, a couple weeks later, I was in West Africa, uh, walking up the gangway of a 522 foot hospital ship full of 350 volunteers who'd come from 41 countries. Wow! And they were doctors and surgeons and nurses who had come to offer free medical care in a country that had no electricity, no running water, no sewage system. Oh my God. And one doctor for every 50,000 of its citizens. Oh my God. And here in America, we have a doctor for every like 280 of us. That's so it, it, there was no healthcare system. Everything had been broken with a decade and a half of, of war, of terrible civil war led by kids and this, this terrible guy, uh, Charles Taylor. So uh, my life changed. Uh, uh, my third day there, I woke up at five in the morning and I was told that the, the whole mission started with a patient screening. And this was where we'd advertise that the ship was coming full of doctors and people would turn up with their different you know, illnesses and sicknesses and we would schedule them for treatment. We would schedule them for surgery on, um, on the ship. Surgery, Wait, why, why sur- Wait, Surgery, so people had cleft lip, we specialize in cleft lips and facial tumors and cataracts and uh, flesh eating disease. You know, uh, tumors were, were a really big thing. Yeah. Um, just growing on people's faces without access to a healthcare system. So I knew that we had 1,500 kind of passes to hand out, surgery passes to hand out. We'd be able to help 1,500 people. And then I learned the government had given us a football stadium, like the soccer stadium in the center of the city to triage the people that would come. And at 5.30 in the morning, I jumped in a Land Rover. I was in hospital scrubs. I had two Nikon D1X cameras. And we kind of snaked through the city and we come up on the stadium and there's more than 5,000 people standing in the parking lot waiting for us to open the doors. And you only have 1,500. Yeah. And okay. I, I will never forget that, that moment where we sent eventually over 3,000 sick people home oh without God. the chance to see a doctor with no hope. We later learned many of them had walked for more than a month oh from neighboring countries with their children. Oh my God. They'd walked from Sierra Leone or Cote d'Ivoire or Guinea. Uh, or Togo, just hoping to see a doctor, but we didn't have enough doctors. That's horrible. That turned into a year of meeting extraordinary doctors and surgeons from all over the world. Uh, I had to document all 1,500 people pre-op and post-op. So I'm getting to know these, you know, kids that are are blind with cataracts or 65-year-old women who live their entire life with a cleft lip because they didn't have $180 mm-hmm. to, to fix it. And even if they did, what surgeon would they have gone right. to? So it was an amazing experience. The cool thing is I had about 15,000 people on my email list. And this was back when open rates were like 95%. So people went from getting invited to Lotus or the Prada Megastore in Soho, you know, to a fashion party, to pictures of leprosy and tumors. And, you know, cleft lips being repaired. And, uh, you know, of course, my list got a little smaller. There are a bunch of people who unsubscribed and said, you know, did not sign up for this. Right. This is not fashion. Right. <laughs> this is not fun. But 
so many people were really moved and, you know, began to give money. Like you said, I changed my life. I dedicated my life to this. I've yeah. I mean, I'd been doing cocaine with these people like, you know, four weeks previous. Right. You know, at a club. So I think they were just they were fascinated just right. to see, you know, I mean, it felt bizarre. Like, right. where's this guy? Where's this country? Like a hospital ship, like leprosy. I mean, right. You know, it was just so foreign. Yeah. And over the next year, I kind of just let them see what I was seeing through the eyes of, of, you know, a lay person through the eyes of, of the doctors and through some of the, you know, the extraordinary nurses. And I, I wound up raising a lot of money for that organization and a bunch of awareness and getting published in the Wall Street Journal and, you know, papers in London um, of, of my photos and stories. So I came back to New York after a year. I didn't know what was next. So I just signed up for another year. And it was really that second year when With I saw people. people same people. Okay. Uh, went back to Liberia. And it's there that I saw people drinking dirty water for the first time in the rural villages. And I was really determined to get off the ship, you know, out of the city and understand how people were living throughout the country. Mm -hmm. And I remember seeing a 13 year old girl drink from a green swamp. Ugh. Wow. And, you know, Bethany, I'd been selling Voss water for right. $10. Right. People would order 10, 10 bottles of water for a hundred bucks and not even no. drink the water. They would just drink yeah. champagne or vodka instead. Yeah, but have it at the table. So I, I just couldn't, I had never seen children, you know, I mean, I'd known clean water. I'd taken it for granted my entire yeah. life. And I learned uh, two things. I learned half the country didn't have clean water to drink and half the disease in the country was because oh. people were drinking disgusting water and didn't have access to hygiene or sanitation. So, you know, I kind of stumbled into the root cause of so much of the sickness that we were seeing, so many of these conditions that we didn't even have enough resources to treat. And there were, you know, like a couple million people that didn't have the most basic need for health met. So maybe this is full circle back to the wanting to be a doctor. Mm -hmm. The chief medical officer, the chief surgeon who'd been there for 25 years, you know, said something to the effect of, Scott, you care about medicine. You care about global health. You, know, you want to be a doctor? Just go get everybody in the world clean water. You'll be the greatest doctor that the world has ever seen. Because I'm thinking more about this now with myself and with what, you know, how much money I've been able to raise and, and what we've been able to resolve in different uh relief efforts and the circuitous route to get there, meaning you're better served doing what you've done than actually being just operating on one person. You know, not that that's not a very noble, but if you're operating on one person at a time, you wouldn't be able to be this voice that's really your skill set to be a connector and a hustler and go get people to donate and make this thing known. So it's interesting how people end up finding their true, uh, their true, not their true passion, their true calling. Yeah. That's wild. So I did. And then I came back after that second year. I was 30. Uh, I was very broke by then because I'd given all my money to the organization and many of the people that I'd met there. And uh, I was crashing on a closet floor on Spring and Mercer uh, on a second floor uh, loft apartment in, in Soho, New York City for free. And just said, hey, I'm going to try to bring clean and safe drinking water to everybody in the world before I die. And the only idea I had was charity water, a charity that helps people get water. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so not very creative, but that was, you know, that was 15 years ago. And, and, and you've dedicated your life to this? Uh, 15 years. Yeah. We've raised now over, you know, $700 million and, and helped 15 million people get water across uh, 29 countries. Are you, and how is, the, what's the vessel of the water? Yeah, we, we fund now uh, 14 different technologies uh, from, you know, a $10,000 well to a $65, you know, personal bio sand filter for a family to rainwater harvesting systems to these huge, you know, multi-million dollar solar gravity fed systems uh, all across, you know, now 20, 29 countries. Um, okay, so uh, now do you travel? Constantly? Yeah, I mean, gosh, I've been to 70 countries now. Um, I've been to Ethiopia 31 times. So over the last 15 years, you know, there's a lot of lot, a lot of miles back and forth um, to, to the places where we work. But, you know, you, you might find this interesting, just like kind of going back to day one of Charity Water, the, 
the first thing I did, because I didn't have any other ideas, was just to throw a party in a nightclub. So our first fundraiser uh, was in the meatpacking district, a place called Tenjun before the club Tenjun. had ever opened. I know. Yeah, Tenjun. it hadn't opened yet. And, and you know, Eugene and Mark gave mm-hmm. it to me for free. And uh, we got a bunch of great people to host the event. And I just charged everyone $20 to get in as a, as a donation. And that night we raised $15,000. It was my 31st birthday. Uh, and we immediately took 100% of the $15,000 to Uganda. We did our first well. We fixed a couple others. And then we sent the photo proof, video proof, and the GPS satellite images back to the 700 people that attended. And we said, you came, you gave $20, and here's exactly where your money went and what it did. Exactly. I get it. And that was that was not happening at scale in a lot of the big charities. And, you know, my, my kind of big idea when I started Charity Water, I had come across this statistic that 42% of Americans don't trust charities. And more recently, uh, NYU Wagner did a study, found 70% of people believe charities waste their money. They're right. It's like, you had one job, right? Like, you know, seven out of 10 donors think that a charity is going to waste their money in some part. So, you know, from, from day one, 15 years ago, we separated the overhead from the, the water project costs. So we have run with two separately audited bank accounts for 15 mm-hmm. years. And not only do we give 100% of, of all donation now for 15 years mm-hmm. to the field, we pay back credit card fees, which sounded like a good idea when we're small and now costs you know, three quarters of a million dollars. Number one, the transparency is the key. The whole time, like someone sends money to some celebrity who posts some link because there's a koala that's been burned in a fire and then they never have any idea where it went. Like, and if you constantly communicate and say, okay, and your needs change. Sometimes you say, okay, this is what we need. We need money because we're doing 100,000 crisis kits for this and this is what they're gonna include. Yep. Then you get there and people don't need a blanket and they don't need mm-hmm. this entire, and then you say, okay, guess what? We're finding that refugee relocation. That's what people, and that, or, or yep. if you donate, you're gonna be donating and this is going to the Chabad. This is going to churches. This is going to children's schools. Like you kind of, you know, let people know that they're part of it and you give them updates and that I couldn't agree with you more. And the same thing, 100% goes um, to the effort because I'm an initiative. And so everything that comes into Be Strong, 100% goes. I pay my own way, my own travel, anything. Um, And then my partner has like a two and a half percent overhead which is insane it's like so low because he's yep. super lean and we uh partner with volunteers etc but that's the, that's goes in the overhead fund like if you donate to be strong that's it so i we think very similarly and it's it solves a problem because people you know i've had the big orgs come to me and say send celebrities to me and say we can't do anything with them. They want to spend $30,000 on a plane to go help in Puerto Rico and, and yep. we don't do that. And they say we don't do this a lot because they're big ocean liners and they take a long time to get their shit together. And it's always like one lane that they're in, that they do this one thing. They can't like pivot and be nimble and figure out, customize yep. to what's going on right there. I'm sure you've seen every country has some different thing that you didn't think about and some different struggle to overcome. That's not, it's like a new business every time. Sure. 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 Yeah. Well, that, that has been absolute kind of key to our success is trying to restore trust. You know, there's so many people skeptical and disenchanted. It sounds like you're doing this really well uh, also. And and then just closing the loop, pr- proving to people what the money's done. So we, I love that you just said closing the loop. Exactly. They feel like they're part of a crusade. Yeah. And you know, we've got um, now, oh gosh, over 50,000 water projects up on Google earth on our website. Every single water project comes with a GPS coordinate, the satellite image, the information of the village. Uh, you know, so this, we just believe like transparency is kind of the way to win. And, and that has helped us now, you know, help over 15 million people get access to water. I think without that model, we would have done you know, far, far less. And the movement would be, would be so much smaller. And you're the visionary of it. You are the strategist. It's your mission. You decide where you're going to do this how it's going to work. You're- well, we have a whole team now, Bethany. I mean, it's, you know, much, much smarter people than, than me, water experts with, you know, decades of, of experience who are out there managing, you know, 1600, um, you know, local staff working for 49 partner organizations. So there's a whole kind of machine now. How many people work 
not at not in those like satellite. yeah just about a hundred at at HQ at Charity Water HQ. Where's HQ? Headquarters? It's been in New York City, but now uh, now people have distributed. Um, so we're our our team is across twenty seven states. We actually just got everybody together last week for um, for an, an organization meeting, which was great. So 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 do you have like a board and they pay all the overhead? So it's separate. Did you do you like raise money yep. just for overhead? It's on the board. It's not the board. We have a community called The Well, mm-hmm. uh, and there are 129 families from all over the world. And they give, uh, they, they started $100,000 a year towards the overhead side. And we have some families giving it a million a year. So that pays for every single toner, you know, package yeah. for the Epson copier, every flight, every credit card fee, every salary, um, you know, every insurance cost or phone bill. And they've been doing that for 15 years. Yeah, it's something I should think about. I mean, it's not been a problem at all because my partner always gets donations which go to the overhead um, and the warehouse and everything. But it's something to think about because I have so many billionaires that every time something goes on, they want to donate and they get involved because they know me and I'm a business person. Um, But to make it more, um, you know, just something that is consistent, like you have certain people that are sort of almost like subscribers and they're just paying all year long. So you always know you're good to go. so how much money does it take for the overhead a year? Like how much you have to bring in every year? This year's budget budget um, is $128 million in total. Mm-hmm. And the overhead will be 22 maybe. So we run it about 80%, 20% every year. Mm-hmm. So 80% of the money goes to the programs, even though we have two completely separate accounts. So right. 129 families paying for the 20 cents on the dollar. Yep. And then a million donors getting this pure way to give where all of it goes to the field. Mother's Day is May 12th, and Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for mom easy this year. Macy's makes it easy for your little ones to buy a present for you for Mother's Day. Bryn loves to shop, but sometimes has a hard time figuring out what to get me. I have confidence that Macy's Gift Finder will be a great guide for her. Something for everyone at every price point. Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, it's so easy to shop. You can shop by price, category, or gift lists, like for the mom who has everything gifts that are already wrapped and ready to be gifted and gifts for grandma. Plus, Macy's has top gifts like Beats headphones, digital photo frames, Polaroid camera, and Samsung smart TV, the frame. Head on over to Macy's.com slash gift finder for the perfect inspiration for Mother's Day. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. The virus that causes shingles is sleeping in 99% of people over 50. It's lying dormant, waiting, and it could reactivate at any time. And while not everyone at risk will develop shingles, it strikes as a painful, blistering rash that can last for weeks. Think you're not at risk for shingles? It's time to wake up, because shingles could wake up in you. If you're over 50, talk to your doctor or pharmacist about shingles prevention. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. So you're married? I am married. Yes. Uh, I married my second employee. That's a whole other story. 
Oh, so you have this life of uh, philanthropy together. Yep. We worked together for a decade and then started having kids. And she uh, took a break from Charity Water. And she now coaches nonprofits on how to market and fundraise and uh, and try to scale and, and get noticed based oh, on wow. her decade of experience. That's amazing. And we've got a five and a half year old and a seven year seven and a half year old. Oh, nice. And you're they're all happy in Nashville? Yeah, we, we moved to a farm during COVID in Pennsylvania, a couple of hours outside of New York City. And we've been down in the South now for for six months. And you know, I'm I'm assistant coaching baseball and it's been it's been a it's been a lot of fun. Oh nice. I'm in New York City tomorrow. I mean I'm I'm still incredibly connected to you know our community in, in Manhattan and um you kept you your know, place I'm, I'm there all the time. No, we didn't. We didn't. Okay. We were just renting. Got no, it. gosh, we couldn't even dream of affording to <laughs> to do that. Nor could we ever afford to buy, you know, in New York City. Um, so what's next? Like what uh where is the big problem right now? Where are you know, I'm aware of this issue because only when it comes up when I'm doing relief work in Puerto Rico and we see that they have no clean water and then people are sending water purification systems in. I've seen it in the Bahamas, but I only see it during like a disaster. Um, so yeah. do you do that too? Or are you really just about permanent infrastructure in places that never had clean water? We've done a little bit of disaster response, but only in the countries where we have a long history or a footprint. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when Flint happened, when Puerto Rico happened, we sent our donors to other organizations who actually had been there. Got you it. know, no, nobody needed a, a New York city based like, you know, or with no experience trying to parachute into Michigan and, and grab donor dollars. So typically when there's a disaster, we're, we're, you know, blogging about it or offering kind of a recommended list of partners okay. that, that we have relationships with. And then, you know, when the Nepal earthquake happened, we've been there for more than a decade. So we really leaned into mm -hmm. relief efforts there. Uh, same thing in, in Ethiopia with a crisis fund and the Haiti earthquake. Um, so we've we've done some stuff, but but we need to be in a country and and really have those relationships. Yeah, you know, I think what's what's next? Like so, okay, there are seven hundred and seventy one million people without water. That's one out of ten people alive. That's insane. We've helped fifteen million. That's one fiftieth of the work that needs to be done. Does that make you feel like positive or defeated? Because I know that sometimes it feels like the situation in Ukraine feels like. Like, oh, like pissing in the ocean. It feels like, we, what's the point? It, it's like sad. It makes me feel like we're in the second inning. Like the best better yet be ahead. Right now, when I get really depressed, I fill yeah. up Madison Square Garden with 15 million people and it's 750 sold out Madison Square Gardens. So, you know, imagine seeing Billy Joel 750 nights in a row, <laughs> right? Like at the garden. So it's a lot of people, mm -hmm. you know, it's more than, you know, all the people that live in New York and all the boroughs. It's states full of people. It's small countries full of mm -hmm. people. Um, but it's a fraction of what is needed. And mm -hmm. the urgency of the 771 million people who did not choose right. to be born in the 10% of the world any more right. than I chose to be born in Philly in a middle-class family right. where I'd always have water. Right. You know, th there is a, we have now built the capability over 15 years. We have a responsibility to go faster, to grow the movement, to raise more money, to invite more people to join us and you know, fight for a world where everybody has clean water to drink. It's like such a basic, it's literally a basic need. It's Everyone so thinks this is a good idea, Bethany, yeah. right? Like whether you're a Republican or a Democrat yeah. or an yeah. independent, if you're a right. person of faith, if you're not, right. you know, regardless of where you stand on right. you know, contentious social issues, like everybody can stand for water. Yeah, I agree. It's the most like it's an inarguable common good. Mm -hmm. So that's allowed us to build, you know, a base of now a million supporters from 150 countries, but it's a fraction of what's needed. So the thing I'm probably most excited about is uh, I, I was with um, uh, the founder of a, of a huge subscription business in, in Ethiopia, you know, a few years ago. And, <laughs> you know, he basically said, you know, why do you start over? every January one, you know, we were only getting one-time donations. He said, why don't you build a community of people who give every single month, right? We've got Spotify, we've got Netflix, we've got Dropbox, we've got Disney plus, we've got Hulu. So a few years ago, Charity Water launched uh, a monthly giving community called the spring and it helped triple the impact of the organization. People just giving 30 or 40 bucks a month. Yeah, they don't even remember. Why isn't the gut, why aren't these individual governments, the governments have no money? Why aren't governments 
giving you something. They are. Um, the governments have a fraction of the money at their disposal. Mm -hmm. I mean, Charity Water can put in a single year what the entire water government budget of a small country in Africa is. You know, it's, uh, I mean, there's, you know, in many of these countries where we work, 95% of the people are shareholder farmers. They're not paying tax, mm -hmm. right? So the government is taking a limited budget and trying to develop roads and healthcare systems and schools and electricity and and water, right? So, you know, we're we're seeing, you know, maybe we're always advocating for an overinvestment in water. You know, we think sometimes other stuff gets done instead of water. No, I'm listening to you. I'd rather be have clean water than than know anything. If I had to choose to be to go to school or to have clean water, I'd rather have clean water. Yeah. You know? So we we are, I mean, outside of the despotic governments or regimes, and there are a few of those around the world, you know, we see governments really want everybody to have clean water. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's embarrassing to, you know, to go to the UN and and have half your country drinking. So so we don't find that our our work is met with resistance. It's yeah. it's really met with partnership. Let's help get more drilling rigs in the country. Let's use the government funding to match charity water money. You know, we have a long, long-standing partnership with Rwanda where every dollar we put into water in Rwanda, the district and federal government come up with 45 cents each. So we get basically a 90 cents on the dollar match. So we're able to do almost double the work as the government says, we don't have a huge budget, but we wanted to go farther and we wanted to attract outside humanitarian investment in a sustainable way. How much money would it take to get the seven, 700 and seven, 771 million people clean water? We think it's about 135 billion. So, you know, 13% of, uh, of one of the trillion dollar stimuluses, right? <laughs> yeah. And you've talked to all these big billionaires that have all their own charities and they've donated or they haven't. You know, Bethany, I'm always open for ideas. So we, we have uh, started, you know, look, I mean, we've got very, very generous people who have given, you know, seven, eight figure gifts. But what I'm really most excited about, as I was saying, is, is the spring, is this community of people that are showing up 30, 40, $50 a month, $10 a month, now across 149 countries, that is adding up to more than the billionaire's investments, right? A, a whole groundswell mm -hmm. of people. So that's what I'm focused on a lot. Um, and you can keep increasing that because people will see more return on their results. You know, the average person listening probably has somewhere between 10 and 15 subscriptions. And, you know, we wanted to create a dynamic uh, community where instead of getting music or movies or magazines, you know, or, or content, a hundred percent of what people give every month goes directly to provide water and the most basic yeah. need for humans. And then we are reporting back with stories of impact and, and trying to make people feel really connected to, you know, almost win every dollar every month. You know, we have a sense of stewardship. So if the old charity water model or the old charity model was like, set it and forget it, right? Get a donor signed up into your monthly community and, and then just hope they forget about it. We're actually doing the opposite. We're trying to engage them. We're trying to prove where the money's going and, and, and create a dynamic community. Yeah. What if you could get one of these subscription uh, streamers to add a dollar to somebody's monthly um, for this cause? Or, I mean, you know, or, or airlines at a dollar on every airfare just is added for clean water in the countries that they fly to or things like that. If anyone's listening and uh, and and is in the airline business or a streamer, we we we'd we'd love to to work with people. We have a great brand partnerships team, and um, you know, there's there's a great video, Bethany, that's gotten like seventy or eighty million views now. It's actually called The Spring, and people could just go to thespring.com. That's even a way to help. Is just watch the video, learn a little more about the issue, and then share it. Okay, so last question is uh, your rose of your career and your thorn. I think the rose of the career is uh, just reaching the 15 million person milestone mm -hmm. in our 15th year. Um, that, you know, it felt like a moment in time, you know, where, okay, we've done something. We built an organization, you know, I can imagine getting to a hundred million people with water now mm -hmm. with 15 million behind us. I think the thorn, I started too late. Mm -hmm. You know, I started this at 30. I wasted a decade. And, and, and I, you know, I, I also believe nothing is wasted. Mm -hmm. um, and I was able to, you know, take some of the things that I learned, I guess, running around promoting nightclubs. I think so. You wouldn't but, have had the skill set. But, you know, it, it also, 
Yes. Um, it also feels like I just wasted 10 years selfishly and had nothing to show for that decade. And uh, I, I'd wish I'd gotten started earlier and there'd be more people with water. Well, and also, I guess this is a message for people listening that um, I think people think they can't get involved because it really seems intangible. It's not that, just like business, it's not that easy to get into philanthropy in a meaningful way. You could donate money, you could put a link. I say to people the communication and, and, and literally without people on social media, my followers, I wouldn't have done the, probably now it's gonna be over $400 million of relief that we've done in um, the last several years. Uh, and it's because of them. Yep. But I do think that it's helpful for, pe for people to listen to your story because people do want an entry point. They want to do something. It's so funny because I, I you know, a lot of my friends say to me, we have, we're boxing up clothes and can we drop them off? And I'm thinking we're sending, you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds from major companies like Levi's that call and Goya and Bumblebee. So they they can't enter because I can't yep. take a box of clothes. It's not even gonna be helpful to me. It'll be it would just be, like, be more work for my team. And someone else, can my kids come over and help you box up? And I'm, I'm like, we have a warehouse in Miami yep. if you want to fly them down to Miami and they can put things in boxes. But for people to have a real impact and do something meaningful, it's not as easy. That's why you had to call all these different places to just get a job for free being yep. a uh, volunteer. So if you have any advice for people listening to have some sort of an impact and to find their way in, um, I wonder what that would be. Yeah, I mean, I think it starts with just the break from apathy and getting involved in stuff and, and you know, figuring out what you're passionate about. Uh, maybe it's, you know, women and girls around the world. Maybe it's a justice issue. Maybe it's hunger. Maybe it is water. Um, maybe it is, you know, reaching people who've been affected by disasters in a really timely way. I think then try to go a little deeper, maybe, to understand that issue. You know, move beyond a donor to you know, get some domain expertise in that. So you can become, you can become an ambassador. You can become an advocate. You can actually know what you're talking about. Yeah, um, so true. And, and then bring others into that cause. You know, I mean, there's so much needless suffering in the world, Bethany. I mean, we look around and there's so much capital. There's so much inert capital. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, I think it's our job as social entrepreneurs or, or those leading movements or causes to really make compelling cases for people to be generous, to use their time, to use their talent, to use their money in the service of others. And you know, there's there's only two two games in town: love and service. Mm -hmm. You know, selfishness does not end well. Mm -hmm. You know, someone will always have more money. They will always have a better car. Someone's going to have a better house. You know, a uh, a more famous partner. And you know, I think the it's really that that shift the paradigm shift in perspective to say, you know, how can I be useful? How can I give what I've been blessed with to others? Mm -hmm. And the more you do that, you know, the more you give, the more you give, right? It's like the, the more you get engaged in things, the more you want to be engaged it's so in positive true. things. It's like the more you consume, the more you consume. And that just leads to a very different place. Totally. You know, we, we've all been with people that have 30 cars, like, you know, I, you know, it started with one, right? And then I need another one. And then I need a third. And like, you know, you're not driving 30 cars. But we also know people, you know, who are, are you know, giving and giving and giving and dynamically giving of their time and their talent and their money. And, and I think I would just encourage people to find the, the joy and the freedom that comes with service and, you know, loving your neighbor as yourself. I mean, charity is actually a beautiful word. It just means love. Mm -hmm. It just means love. It means to help others in need getting nothing in return. But a lot of business people listen and um, I do think it feels, for people to, you said learn something, be educated on something and know about it. I do think that every time you do something different to help people, it's like business because you have to, you don't know what the language you're talking about. You don't know, you don't know what PPE masks are. And then you become totally fluent in that language because you have to mm -hmm. learn it. You have to get an education in it. So mm -hmm. for people who are business minded, I don't think most people make that connection between business and philanthropy. But if you have that sort of entrepreneurial 
uh, spark, it can be used for something so positive. I just mm-hmm. do think that there is a total, you kind of just like, wait, I don't know about that. How do I get my way in? How do I figure out? How do mm-hmm. I get my foot in the door? Just go show up there, figure it out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just get on the road. You got to get on the road. You can't be stuck in the business plan. That's how I feel mm-hmm. about that. And listen, everybody's, you know, I, I know you've raised so much. You have such a compassionate, uh, engaged, you know, group of people. So I just want to, you know, uh, thank you and thank your community for all the good that, that, that they've been supporting around the world. Well, they can support you too. What's your, how do they donate? Uh, thespring.com or charitywater.org. Thespring.com or charitywater.org. We'd, we'd love for people to learn more about our work. Thanks all right, for the well, opportunity. Let me know you, all right, guys, let's donate. Let me know when um, this airs, if you saw that anybody donated. I'll be very proud of my audience because they're pretty engaged and awesome people. Amazing, thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. It was great talking to you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. So that was Scott Harrison. I had not heard of him, although we've crossed paths in New York, I'm sure. Uh, Very interesting to dedicate your life to philanthropy after a life of debauchery. I like that. Um, Just it's inspiring for other people who are feeling hopeless, useless, depressed, meaning what's the point? You know, the way we sometimes we all think, like, what is the point of all this? And, and, you know, 771 million people not having clean water is extremely sad and frustrating. And think about such a basic need. It's water, like drinking swampy, green, disgusting, sludgy water that makes me, that literally makes me want to cry. I mean, it just makes me sad because I've faced that with people in Puerto Rico and the Bahamas, but this is just another level that people have never had clean water and they've maybe they've even had schools and other things but is there anything more important than clean water so i think that that's really an interesting cause i like it um i would love to help um but i know what that feels like feeling um like you're not even scratching the surface because with what's going on in ukraine and if i think about the numbers of people that we can take out that are refugees um and that we can help and relocate it's a small percentage of the whole it's not even that small but it's probably like maybe 10 percent of the problem but you know do your part but really do your part like really get involved figure it out learn what you care about and and take the next step everybody wants to check the box so they could say they check the box what about actually doing something that really helps somebody else and feeling good about it so i think that's a really um that's a good message for that one. And you know that sometimes I have people on that you've heard of that are famous. And sometimes I have people on who have been pitched to me that just seem like they have an interesting story. And certainly someone whose goal in life is that everybody in the world will have clean water. That seems like a pretty good guest to me. Um, And that it is, you know, it does seem like it's treating it like business. You've got to get things done. You have to be a person that isn't going to get defeated and we'll just tackle the problem. Uh, So many times it will feel like you're not making a difference, but you got to get on the road and get involved in a real way or just keep spreading the message. But I do think getting actually involved is better. Just Be is hosted by me, Bethany Frankel. Just Be is a production of Be Real Productions, iHeartRadio, and Blue Duck Media. Our EPs are Morgan Lavoie, Antonio Enriquez, and Kara Hitt. To catch more moments from the show, follow us on Instagram at Just Be With Bethany. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. So Puerto Rico is a beautiful place. It's a lush island. It's great for surfing. It's got a culture. Like you feel like you've really gone somewhere far and you don't need a passport, which honestly I do really enjoy. It's a beautiful island. The people are amazing. The food is amazing. The water, the beaches, the vibe. It's a great place. It really is. In Puerto Rico, you'll taste the influence of Spanish, African, and native Taino traditions, sometimes all in the same dish. Puerto Rican chefs and restaurants put their passion into every bite. Puerto Rico is an excellent destination for food, which may not be a well-known fact. Whether it's a five-star restaurant or local favorite spot, no one does food like Puerto Rico. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. 
because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. The weather is getting warmer and it's time to swap my winter layers for fun, vibrant, and cool clothing with so many fun things happening this spring like Mother's Day and the Wind Down Tour. It's hard to find great looking clothes that fit you just right. That's why I love JCPenney. JCPenney has so many stylish and comfortable options for so many different body types. I've been blown away by their selection and everything hugs my body in all the right spots. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with style that gets you. Something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her, each in women's petite and plus sizes. Here, spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count.